Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Evening Dhamma. Welcome back. Today we're continuing on studying the Satipatthana Sutta. We're in what is called Sampajanya. Sampajanya Baba or Sampajana Baba. Baba means section somehow. What we're looking at is Sampajanya. This concept of Sampajanya, which a lot is made of made of this word, but in many ways it's just a, another way of describing mindfulness or describing the effects of mindfulness. When we talk about sati, sati is the act of grasping the object. Often they're paired together sati and sampajanya, or sometimes it's just sati and panya, sati panya. Sampajanya really is just a fancy way of, of talking about wisdom. I mean, not not in a ba in a in a good way because in a good way because sometimes if you just say wisdom, 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 it loses its it loses the meaning. It just becomes a catch word, a buzzword. But when you say so, when you say panya. Panya just means wisdom, but when you say full and complete understanding, it has a little bit more of a of a meaning to it. But it really means it's what we mean when we say wisdom. But what do we mean by wisdom? It means full and complete knowledge. or intensive the commentary talks about sampajanya as being continuous knowledge always knowing so it can be i mean that be interpreted in different ways but it means knowledge it means this special knowing not what it means is non-intellectual knowing. It means really being aware uh, of something. Again, it's this... Uh, well, the commentary describes four ways of understanding, four types of sampajanya, only one of which we're actually interested in. But in order to give an idea of what the word means or how it's used. So the first is atta-sampajanya, knowledge uh, or full and complete knowledge of purpose so it it kind of means having well it means having wisdom about purpose or wisdom because of knowing the purpose so you have this clear state of mind because you're sure why you're doing something so it means knowing the difference between purpose and purpose useful and not useful, purpose and purposeless. 
purposeful and purposeless. Knowing that doing something has benefit, has value, and knowing that doing something is futile, has no value. That's one of the big things, I mean this in regards to the Dhamma, it's one of the big things that we learn in Buddhism. Learning that killing is not useful, stealing is not useful. Learning that ambition is not useful. Learning that addiction is not useful, attachment is not useful. And people who practice meditation intensively, their lives begin to change. They stop getting caught up in so much complex activity because they start to see it's not useful. That's not the Sampajanya we're talking about in the Sutta, but that's a way that it's used. It's a type of wisdom. The second type is Sapaya Sampajanya. Wisdom about suitability. So suitability is a bit different than purpose. It means something might be useful, but is it useful for me? Right? This is important. There are some things that are just useless. It means no one should engage in them. Greed, anger, delusion, to name the basic ones. But there are some things that are just unsuitable for an individual. Some things are suitable for all individuals. Sati is one. Practice of mindfulness. There's, you can never say, well, I don't think this is suitable. But for some people, different environments are suitable, more suitable. The Visuddhimagga goes into some fairly practical examples. For someone who is of greedy temperament, you should put them in a dirty room or a, a plain and simple room with a broken bed and give them a broken bowl and uh, give them crappy food. Someone who is greedy should have all sorts of bad stuff. But if someone is of angry temperament, well, you should give them the nicest room and good food and a pleasant, pleasant view, maybe. Uh, give them all sorts of nice stuff to counter their, their inherent negativity. For someone who is deluded, I think you shouldn't give them a, a big room because their mind will be able to expand. You shouldn't give them a view you should give them uh, a, a small room or something like that. There's a whole detail that's quite interesting. The ways, if you really want to get into it. Uh, the commentary here gives an example of uh, a person who is... A person who is contemplating a dead corpse. So if um, if it's if you're a male, you shouldn't you shouldn't contemplate a female corpse, because it's not the point. I mean, it it goes against the purpose of seeing the loathsomeness of the body. Uh, ar arguably, but arguably it it might help if you see a a woman become bloated and disgusting. You know, the Buddha used this. Uh, no, he didn't. He used it for a woman. But uh, the commentary does say a, a man should not reflect upon. 
a, a female corpse and a, f a, a woman shouldn't contemplate on a, a male corpse that would be unsuitable uh, for loving kindness it certainly works that way men should do much better if they're cultivating the jhanas they should focus on men uh, male individuals focus their loving their kindness on them otherwise if they're heterosexual obviously point is don't focus on something that's going to be the object of your attachment depending on what is your proclivity the third type of sampajanya is gochara sampajanya gochara means pasture go means a cow and jara means walking or, or place of or pasture really so it's cow pasture is gochara cows having a great significance in India the word took on a greater meaning and it means uh, resort so knowledge of the sort of people you should hang out with the sort of places you should go the sort of wisdom about this the fourth type of sampajanya is the one we're looking at here the commentary acknowledges that none of these are the type of sampajanya that we're talking about here in this section we're going to talk about sampajanya which is called asamoha sampajanya samoha means uh, that which partakes in wisdom asamoha means that which does not partake in sorry samoha is that which partakes in delusion Asamoa is that which does not partake of delusion or in delusion, which means wisdom. The, the full and complete knowledge that has to do with wisdom or has to do with non-ignorance, non-delusion, non-confusion. And this particular the the usage here means specifically this isn't a conventional sort of wisdom the other three are conventional I mean they come generally from meditation practice but they can also come from theory from rational rationalization or logic uh, rational thinking or, or logic but this one is asamoha this means in a true full complete knowledge this is where one comes to know unshakably, directly, without any intermediary from one's me one's meditation practice. So what we're talking about here is this experience of the meditator who knows what's happening, where suddenly they're transported from the mental intellectual activity to the awareness, now I'm sitting, now I'm walking, now I'm standing. Not intellectual thinking it, but it's the best, as best approximation that we can put into words. It's this knowing and full and complete knowledge, not just some wavering knowledge that everyone has. Oh yes, I'm going to walk now. No, walking, being aware of the movements. And so it's quite simple. He goes through just about everything, and it, but it's interesting to remind ourselves that this isn't just a practice for the sitting mat. Sati is something that, for the meditation to progress and succeed, has to be cultivated everywhere. 
so it says bhikkhu abhikkhu it's our, our bhikkhu abhikante patikante sampajanakari hoti in going forward in coming back in walking back and forth Sampajanakari Hoti One is a person who does Or cultivates or makes Makes themselves fully and completely aware A commentary describes this I think as going on alms round And it goes through a long process Of talking about going and coming back It can also just be walking on a On a walking path When you're walking and forward and back Um but the, you know the idea here is outside of the meditation practice so when you leave your room to come up here to listen to the talk when you go back to your room that kind of thing when you go out for food when you go back for food uh, walking this way and that way is maybe what it means alokite vilokite when looking forward when turning to look around one is mindful Saminjite pasarite when one extends one's arm, when one flexes one's arm, for example, you know, reaching, pulling. Sanghati patta jivara dharane sampajanakari hoti. When one is carrying one's coat, some sangati is one the monk's coat. Patta, bowl, jivara, other robes Carrying, when one car is carrying something Carrying one's bowl and robes really For monks those are the belongings So when you go to pick up your robes Picking it up mindfully These things that we have to do on a daily basis Doing it with mindfulness, with clear awareness So your mind isn't somewhere else Your mind is there too When you're, ho when you're carrying something Carrying your bowl on alms round You are there with it The mind is there too It's not the body carrying And the mind is doing something else Asite pite kaite sahite When one Eat In regards to what is eaten and drunk Swallowed Tasted Sampajanakari Hoti When eating and drinking Eating meditation is a wonderful thing I encourage it for all meditators And people interested in, med in mindfulness meditation Chewing, chewing, swallowing oh, You've got nothing better to do Why don't we actually be there when we eat Instead of eating and letting our minds wander And Get preoccupied just with the pleasure of eating Why don't we actually be there Chewing, chewing It's quite a enlightening experience And here's here's my favorite one I think is Uchara pasava kamme Sampajanakari hoti Favorite, I mean It's the most interesting one Uchara is, is defecating Pasava is urinating In the act of urinating and defecating Sampajanakari hoti I mean it shouldn't be any surprise But 
that it's in the text is uh, it's quite revealing. Yes, medita urinating meditation, defecating meditation. We actually go there when we when we when we say everywhere, we mean everywhere. Being mindful of the feelings of urinating and defecating, mindful of the sounds and the smells. Gate tite nisine sutte jagarite basite tunibhave. When walking, when standing, when sitting, when lying, when awake, or when waking up, when speaking, when staying silent. Speaking, basite. Are you aware of your lips moving? Are you mindful of the thoughts and emotions going through your mind when you talk? It's a difficult one. But are you here? Are you present? If not, when you're not, you're not meditating. It's quite revealing to think this isn't a one hour a day thing. For a person who is dedicated to the practice, it's a many, it, it's a 18 hour thing at least, if not more. Remember, I tell this story often of uh, subbing in for another teacher, and there they had the meditators do eight hours a day, ten hours a day, and the meditators would come back so stressed, some of them. Oh, I was able to do, today I did ten hours a day. It was hard, but I did it. And this meditator said this to me, and I said, okay, today I want you to do eighteen hours a day of meditation. And his eyes almost, I remember his eyes just, he was... Unfathomable. He was dreading what I was going to tell him and say, 18 hours. Who is this new guy and what's he going to do? And uh, explain to him, you know, I don't care how much formal meditation you do, but try to be mindful when you wake up. This isn't an hours thing, this is an always thing. Be mindful. Jagari day, when waking up. Lying, lying, when you want to sit up, wanting to sit, sitting, sitting. And I described to him how to be mindful, standing, walking, sitting, bending, stretching, reaching, pulling, brushing your teeth, eating your food, showering, urinating, defecating, being mindful. It's an all the time thing. Which is really a, a um, I mean, this is a good example of why the monastic life is is so important. Not for everyone, but important to have uh, as a means of dedicating yourself in this way. When you really want to learn how to live, right? You don't want to go out and live, you want to learn how to live. Mostly we do it the other way. We go out and live and we think we'll learn how to do it along the way, which, well, doesn't work out usually the way we planned because you don't know how. You're doing it all wrong and you're building bad habits. So going off into the forest or an empty place, a monastery, for lack of a better word, a place where there are a bunch, more, a bunch of other beggars who don't beg but 
see the danger of getting ambitious and caught up in samsara and dwelling with them and learning how to live this is what the monastic life is for and that's the section on sampajanya so going right getting right along that's the dhamma for tonight let's look at questions Six questions today. How do you be more mindful during day-to-day -day activities? I seem to often forget my reasons for things fail to be present. Well, the best way is to do an intensive meditation course in all ways because it, again, teaches you how to live rather than having to go out and live and try to work it out. When you're here, you don't have anything better to do. So being mindful is... It's it's an easy thing to cultivate, but failing that, failing at doing an intensive course, well, again, very much as I just said, you learn how to be mindful of just about everything you do. Saminji te pasari te, stretching, flexing, everything you do. Does insight lead to tranquil states? Yes, insight leads to the ultimate tranquility of Nibbana which of course leads to mundane tranquil states as well what is the meaning of knowing mind? do we have to mentally recite rising and falling or is it just to be aware? well the problem is if you're not reciting rising and falling it's very hard to just be aware right? without that practice of grasping of, of um, concretely uh, augmenting the mind it's very hard to just be aware that's the whole point you know and people go the other way and say we're just going to we don't have to use these words we're just going to be aware well if you're not if the mantra isn't present you know, that's what the mantra is for what is a Buddhist point of view on love well, there are many kinds of love It's really just a word And it means different things to different people In different contexts What does Buddhism say about love of another In a relationship? Is it wrong because of clinging? Well the love isn't wrong But the clinging is technically wrong Because the clinging is what's going to lead to suffering The love won't uh, Don't they love everyone equally? Yes, loving everyone equally means not preferring one person over another and thus not being upset when you can't be with the one you are attached to so again love and attachment from a Buddhist point of view are two very different things as a byproduct does Vipassana make you a more creative person not a smart person um, I mean in the short term maybe if if you if creativity is a part of your Ambition, it'll definitely allow you to focus your creativity. Eventually, I would say it, it no, it makes you very uncreative because <laughs> you have no desire to create anymore. But that's sort of more long term. Eventually, you have no um, desire for anything, you're just happy and at peace. <laughs> but no, if you mean creative by being able to see the world completely differently. Yeah, absolutely. They're very open-minded to an extent. To some extent, they're not willing to... 
not interested in um, entertaining specious ideas or, or you know, imaginary situations. But to the extent that they're willing to, they're perfectly open mind, perfectly uh, able to imagine things. Schopenhauer says, besides becoming a monk, you can experience bouts of escape from the will to life through immersing yourself in art and philosophy. What do you think? Again, I don't think much about Schopenhauer. So I'm going to take the easy way out and just say, eh, not, not my sort of question. Okay, that's all the questions. Thank you all for coming out. Have a good night.